Walls invasions. It was infuriating to all Texans that Mexico was coming back for more. Six years earlier, Mexico had surrendered half her nation, the whole of Texas, following Santa Ana's expensive victory at the Alamo and humiliating defeat at San Jacinto. And then the Mexican army, having pinned Dawson into a position of surrender, went ahead and massacred 35 of his men despite the truce. Only five had escaped the terms of the surrender, including our own Dawson, who spoke ceaselessly of revenge and how he would never trust the flag of Mexico again. I had one day helped him repair a fence through which some of his father's cows had escaped. He was a quiet, strong, pleasant young man, only four years older than I was, though when he came back from the Dawson expedition, his arm was shattered and held by a makeshift sling. A saber scar ran across his thigh, and he was no longer pleasant, but always angry and frightened. So we knew, or should have known, what we were getting into, but we couldn't help it. A great victory had been achieved at San Jacinto, and there was no call, save pride and fury, to risk ourselves now. We should have let the bandits be. We should never have joined when Captain Fisher and Captain Green came calling. And having joined their militia, we should have pulled up shy at the Rio Grande, letting Mexico understand that we would defend our newly gained territory, but we should never have gone into their country. Five hundred of us left LaGrange that day. Three hundred and eight of us would go on to cross the river into Mexico, and only a handful returned. That was fifty years ago, and whenever young people ask, I tell them that there is no shortage of war in the world, and that wars always come looking for someone to fight them, particularly if you're from Texas, with war born in blood. But young people don't often ask, and instead plunge into war. I live on the outskirts of a small town, and I watch mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers grieve. And it's not only the blood of the enemy, and of their own, that they grieve, but also the heart's blood, the heart's drying out. What fun, what glory, what joy must war hold to summon them thus? I remember how it seemed that the voice of a beautiful woman was calling, and that a spacious country filled with bounty lay just ahead. Why was I one of the tiny handful who survived the entire journey? I can find no clue, no scrap of order or design, even as I knew all along, or almost all along, that I would survive. Have I subsequently lived in such a fashion as to justify being spared? Have I done anything magnificent, achieved more than those who died would have? Fifty years later, a farmer of stock, a raiser of goats, sheep and cattle, a grower of corn and cotton, I can find no reason for my survival. But then I can find no good reason for having crossed the border in the first place. The night before Green and Fisher arrived, I had been troubled by dreams. 
In the first dream, my friend James Shepard and I were camped along the James River, which was where we liked to go in the summer to fish for catfish. We could catch them closer to home in the lower meandering of the muddy Brazos, but in the James River, farther up into the hills, the water ran clearer and faster and the fish tasted better. It was Comanche country, though, and we usually went there only in the early summer when the people, as the Comanches called themselves, had gone north to hunt buffalo. There was nothing Shepard and I loved more in the world than to eat catfish from the James. There was no finer food, no finer times than on those days and nights when we camped beside the clear running river and feasted on catfish and dreamed about the shape our lives might take. James Shepard was going to be governor of Texas, or a senator at the least, while I, James Alexander, was less sure of my role. I was the better student, and I thought for a while...